meet the motherboard. Five warrior moms, 12 kids, and that includes two sets of twins. And a whole lot of opinions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the motherboard. I'm Melody Keela, and today we're going to be doing a snack episode with my partner, friend, and fellow podcaster, Whitney Lay Green. I've had the great pleasure of getting to know Whitney for a number of years, and we recently actually got the opportunity to start working together, which has been fantastic because Whitney is super smart, very reliable, a team player, and always has your back. So Whitney, thank you for letting me put you in the hot seat today. Yeah, listen, I'm happy to give you your uh, shot at being Diane Sawyer. <laughs> Always dreamed of that. <laughs> I will not make you cry, though, I promise. Yeah, hopefully you're nicer to me than she was to Brittany in that in that famous interview. Oh, man, I just saw that. I, I, I will not be talking about that, that with you. <laughs> so, Whitney, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your background and, and, and what made you decide to become a lawyer? So I think um, I am one of the like weirdo people who actually did want to be um, a lawyer. My husband thinks that's pretty strange because um, he kind of fell into it. But, you know, I watched honestly, this is probably embarrassing, but I watched a lot of, you know, Law and Order and those kinds of crime shows growing up and just was always fascinated by seeing lawyers in the courtroom um, I also have a background as I, I was a dancer my whole life and did musical theater. And so, um, have been a performer my whole life and, and litigation is sort of the professional version of that. Um, it was originally my vision to move to New York and live in a cardboard box and try to be on Broadway. But after I spent like, you know, after I spent four years of college being a broke college student, I quickly decided that continuing to be broke for an undetermined amount of time was not um, in my best interest and had some injuries. And so I found my way to law school. And here I am. That's interesting. I've always wanted to live in New York. <laughs> I, so I totally it was my whole dream um, pre-law school. And then it was kind of funny because I had like grown up in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I went to undergrad there. And like my only vision was to get out of town. Um, and then when I came to Georgia for law school, I think for like the first month, I called my parents like every weekend and asked if I could come home and said it was, you know, hard and I was so homesick. And I remember my mom because at the time I thought I was going to go to I for a while wanted to go to school in New York. And she was like, how would you have ever survived? Because, I mean, Athens, Georgia is very similar to Knoxville, Tennessee. So I don't know what I would have done. And if I had moved to Manhattan, I mean, probably I wouldn't have made it and would have come back home and, and figured out a new plan. But, yeah, back then I thought I'd, I definitely wanted to live in New York. Now I think I'm probably in the South for good. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your law practice and what you specialize in? Sure. So I started out um, with the firm actually doing workers' compensation. Um, I moved down to our Brunswick, Georgia office from Atlanta, which is about a five-hour um, drive for those who aren't um, Georgians who might be listening. It's down on the coast. And when I moved down there, I started doing general liability work, um, premises liability, products liability, and trucking work, and then have kind of shifted more into that as my focus. Now I do um, a lot. Um, probably the majority of what I do is a combo of trucking work and then rideshare um, work for a large rideshare company. And so, um, but still doing premises liability and products liability. So it's what I love about general liability is is you never know what is going to come walking 
um, into your door. And so that helps keep things fresh and exciting. It is definitely interesting. Always, always something interesting <laughs> to do. So um, like our listeners might know if they listened to our first few episodes, uh, you you had babies, plural, um, in 2020. And while you were out on maternity leave, I believe you were awarded the 2020 Outside Counsel Award by McLean Company, which is one of the largest supply chain service companies uh, sort of providing grocery and food service supply chain solutions to stores. Um, tell us a little bit about that award. What what uh, who is awarded it and what it means? Yeah, so I certainly that um, was such a surprise, a great surprise, you know, and I was out on maternity leave with uh, twin newborns. And then I also have a three year old who was at home with us because of the you know pandemic. We've all been had the great fortune of experiencing. So it was it was a great welcome surprise from kind of the, you know, endless sleepless nights to see that there was an award uh, McLean Awards their outside counsel for what they call exemplary legal work. And so I was just so, you know, fortunate to have been selected this year. And, you know, I think my initial reaction was, you know, gee, you get an award for doing your job, you know, because it's just, <laughs> I, I feel like what I do is give our clients great legal service, which is what I'm supposed to do. Um, so part of me was like, you know, I'm just, I'm doing what, what you should do as a lawyer for your clients. Um, and so that was my initial reaction. But then, you know, I'd also say it, it's nice to have somebody tell you, I mean, you always hope that you're doing a good job. You're always working as hard as you can for good outcomes for your clients. So it's definitely nice for them to let you know, you know, to give you a pat on the back and say that what you hope you're doing, you know, get some confirmation that that's actually happening. That's great. And you were, I believe, the only woman who received it that year. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, I think I think that's correct. So, you know, that's an added, that's an added perk too. Well, you know, I think it's uh, something to be really proud of. I know that it's not something that you probably want to outwardly brag about, you know, without being prompted, but I think it's, it shows exactly what I know about you as a lawyer is that you are dependable, very smart and really, you know, keep the client's interest in mind, which, which, you know, everybody wants in their lawyers. So um, what is one thing about practicing law that is very different from what you expected. Like for me, for example, I can tell you an example for me. I hated my research and writing class in law school, hated it. I thought it was so boring. You know, they would teach us how to read the library cards, which we don't even do anymore. I hated it. I mean, I loved my professor, but I hated the class. And then when you get to the to our type of practice, the civil defense, that's literally all I do all day is write. So it was like the most important class. And that was just something I didn't know from watching TV courtrooms <laughs> or courtrooms <laughs> on TV, I should say. Yeah. So, well, A, I totally agree with you. I hated legal research and writing. I thought it was the lamest, most boring class and was like, I am not going to need this when I'm arguing in front of the Supreme Court about some very important um, constitutional law issue, um, which, you know, is now currently a really big part of my practice, the Supreme Court arguments. Um, <laughs> but not to steal your idea, I think the other thing I would say is uh, the non-legal aspects of our job. I mean, you know, we are defense attorneys, so we live and die by the billable hour. And so, you know, learning how to you know, what it means to keep up with time and to put, you know, inner time and, um, you know, what kinds of things are billable, what kinds of things are not billable, um, 
interacting with staff and learning to manage people, um, you know, that especially I think for both of us, we're kind of stepping into those roles as partners, um, whereas before as senior associates, it was just focus on you and getting your work done. And now there's all those extra um, responsibilities. So I think I would say probably the biggest surprise aside from from your what you said is those kind of non, you know, the things that I'm in air quotes saying non-legal tasks that we have to do because those things are so important. I mean, if, you know, obviously being a lawyer, you want to provide good legal work, but you also have to make sure that you're doing what you need to do on the business side. And if you don't get your time in um, and you don't get your bills submitted, then you don't get paid for that time. So I think I I don't think I had any appreciation of that, certainly when I went um, to law school and and thought that my future was going to be as Amal Clooney, which has, you know, not (laughs) surprise, has not turned out that way. (laughs) So talking about managing people, what has been the biggest challenge that you've found in sort of, you know, stepping into that role from, like you said, the, the traditional focus on myself role. What is, what is the most challenging thing to you and, and what have you enjoyed about it? I think what I enjoy about it is that I feel a real sense of responsibility um, because I was so, so lucky to have so many great mentors who helped me get where I am that I really feel like it's my job to help the people coming after me, the lawyers coming after me at our firm also succeed. And so I think uh, mentoring new lawyers, um, mentoring, uh, you know, summer associates and, and anybody who kind of even lawyers who may be new as laterals, I think mentoring them or at least it, to the extent they don't need mentorship, just helping them find the ways to succeed at our law firm is something that is really enjoyable to me because it feels like I'm paying forward um, the benefits that I got. And I think that that um, is important and and it's gratifying to see. Um, I think the probably the hardest challenge for me is just trying to is, you know, really making sure you kind of balance all those things and to make sure that I don't get so focused on I need to get this brief done. I have these discovery responses due that I forget to, you know, make sure that I'm checking in in all, all of our people and make sure that the people are doing well. And so um, I try to kind of keep notes for myself. And, you know, have you checked in with this person in a little while just to call and say, hey, how are you doing? Because. We used to do that in the office. I would just walk by, you know, and I'd walk by your office and see you in there and say, you know, hey, Melody, how's it going? And, you know, if if you weren't having a good day, then I would know how that was going. But we don't get to do that now. And I think especially with our staff and with our associates who are working from home, it's important just to have the check in, not to say, have you done this thing I ask you to do? Just to say, how's it going? Do you need anything? Is there something you wanted to talk to me about? Because you know, I think even more so now there's a sense of I don't want to bother you. You know, I don't want to call you. And they might have just stopped by your office before and they're not going to get that chance. So I think that's the hard part. And so I try and hopefully I do a pretty, you know, an OK job to check in with people just to see how they're how they're doing. Yeah. And I remember, you know, you are scared. You were scared or I was scared, I should say, you know, to go to your boss's office to ask a question. And so I think maybe the idea of like, oh, especially us, because they know that, you know, we're at home and we have kids. I've gotten messages before where someone's like, oh, is are you with the baby? You know, and so that kind of adds another thing with us. Um, so 
I think that you're doing a great job, though. Um, I, I work alongside you all the time, and I think that you are a great example for, for the people who are working with us. So tell us one thing that people may be surprised to hear about you. Um, well, I kind of, I guess I mentioned this earlier. I think one thing that a lot of people who know me now probably don't know because it's just not something I talk about is that I was a dancer my whole life. Um, and I actually became a professional dancer when I was 12. Um, our dance company was the, the goodwill ambassadors for the state of Tennessee. And so we, you know, went on tour and, and danced. And the idea behind the company was that kids, meaning 18 and under, so not necessarily, you know, small children could perform at the same level as adults and in, in terms of dance. And so we would hire professional choreographers to come in and, um, you know, choreograph pieces for us that were typically performed by adult dancers. Um, and were taught in conjunction with that. I mean, obviously the dance piece is one part, but the other piece of it was just about sort of always rising to the occasion and seeking to be excellent and expecting more out of yourself than other people might expect of you. Um, and Dr. Floyd, who is our artistic director, always, you know, told us it was better to fail in your quest for excellence than to succeed in the role of the ordinary and average. Um, and I think my parents felt like that was kind of a lot to put on <laughs> kids. But I think that it has kind of informed my life since then, um, you know, with lots of other things. But I think that that idea that, you know, you should always be pushing for more and you should always be trying to be better and you should, you know, never kind of sit back and rest on, you know, whatever successes you've had in the past and should always be looking at what you're going to do next um, has kind of driven me. And in my career, you know, continues to drive me that, you know, sometimes even my husband, will, you know, will say, why don't you just stop for a second and, you know, and, and take, you know, soak in the good things that are happening rather than it's usually my response to say, yeah, I'm glad this happened. Now I have to work on getting to here. Um, and I think you're probably similar to me in that <laughs> regard that, you know, I think sometimes we don't take the opportunity to, you know, give ourselves at least a little bit of pat on the back because we're really focused on on getting to the next thing. So does that mean that Mary Hazel has dancing in her future? You know, I love it. Um, although I think the downside to that, to, to the life I had is that I had no life. I mean, you know, I missed football games. I missed my prom my junior year. You know, I, I missed lots of traditional childhood ex experiences because I lived at the dance studio. And part of me is like, you know, I missed all that time with my family. I missed all those like regular life experiences, you know, and I'm not dancing now. So was that really worth it? Um, but it sounds like it back, sort of shaped who you were. So, yeah, so when I get back to that, like, you know, would I be this driven and, and maybe I would be, and maybe, um, I wouldn't. So and that doesn't answer your question at all. Um, I think I would just say, I would love for her to dance. I don't know that I will be pushing any of my kids to do the most intense version of whatever the thing they love. You know, I think that there's something to be said for just, if you like to dance, take dance class and, you know, if you like to play baseball, play baseball, and it, everything doesn't have to be, you know, ultimate, you know, give your whole life to one to one thing. Yeah. So, okay, if you could have dinner with two people, they can be living or dead, who would they be and why? Oh, gosh, I feel like that's a Miss America question. 
Um, two people living or dead. Okay, so one of them would definitely be Dolly Parton. Um, I think she is just amazing in all the ways that a person can be amazing. I mean, she obviously had a great career. She has grown this insane business. I mean, I'm from Tennessee, so, um, you know, Sevierville, Tennessee, which used to be this very tiny, no one had ever heard of town, is literally now, you know, exploded with Dollywood. And she has a uh, the Splash Country, which is like the water park um, for Dollywood. And she has like, you know, Dixie Stampede, which I think is also affiliated with. I mean, there's just it's like crazy what sort of business empire she has created for herself. And so I think that's amazing. But at the same time, she also has this incredible heart. Um, a few years ago, there were these terrible wildfires in the Smoky Mountains, and she donated just an insane amount of money to help the people who were harmed by those fires. Um, you know, I think that I heard that the graduation rates in Sevier County, where she was from, were super low. And so she brought like a whole graduating class in and or a whole class of like eighth graders. And told all of them to pick a buddy. And if them and their buddy graduated from high school, she'd give them both like $5,000 or some amount of money. Wow. Um, I didn't know any of this stuff about Dolly Parton. Yeah. So you just informed me. um, A totally admitted super fan. Um, She, I think, also donated money to help with the COVID vaccine. I mean, she's just she has such a big heart. And I think she does it without any expectation um, that of recognition or, you know, or a fanfare. Um, actually, I think Tennessee, the legislature was planning to erect a statue in her honor, which I'm fully on board with for the record. <laughs> but she said that she thought they should be spending their time um, on more important issues. And like with everything going on that she didn't think it was the right time um, for them to be looking at that, which I just feel like, wow, sort yeah. of reiterates how amazing she is. So um, I could do a whole ep- one day. Maybe we'll do a Dolly Parton episode. <laughs> but. So I think Dolly for sure. Um, I think my second person um, would probably be, yeah, let's go. I'm going to go with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, I feel like, you know, she's a lot of female litigators, heroes. Um, I, you know, obviously have thought she was fabulous my whole life. I watched the movie about her life that they did a few years ago, and I think you know, watching how hard she had to work to get what we assume, you know, to exist for us. You know, that there are people who thought she didn't belong in law school to begin with. And that, you know, there's a scene in the movie where the the lawyer wouldn't hire her because his wife didn't want him to have a female associate. And it was like, gosh, can you imagine being as smart? And then how hard she had to work for the right to get to make the argument, you know, before the Supreme Court that she's so famous, you know, for doing. And I think, that you see that and you it's gratifying on the one hand because you can kind of see how far we've come and it makes me even more grateful for all of the women who came before us because we definitely stand on their shoulders um and you know it also makes me feel like i think it's motivating too in that you say you know she had it much harder than you do and look what she did um and with that kind of adversity and you have way less than that so like you better get your act together sister because like there's no she didn't sit back and say, this is hard. I'm going to give up. She kept moving through. And it's so much easier for us that I feel like it makes me feel like we have even more responsibility to try to, you know, make sure that those glass ceilings keep getting broken because we're doing it with less adversity on the other side. 
She was also pretty amazing when when her husband had cancer and, and she kept his law practice going, but then also like she would write his briefs and stuff for him and then she also kept her own job. I don't I don't know that I would have that much dedication to my husband's job. <laughs> yeah, and their relationship I also just feel like was like so like perfect and, and precious and that he was such a cheerleader for her and I feel like Especially when it like wasn't normal back then to like have your wife working that much, you know, and right. he was very supportive. And he must, you know, and I was thinking, you know, there are certainly, I think, still lots of men who have, you know, feelings about their wife being more powerful or making more money or whatever. And I would think back then it had to have been, you know, hard for him as she's kind of, you know, rising and and he was still super successful. But, um, you know, I feel like that that was a cool, a really, a really cool story. So when you um, think about your life and your career, you know, in the future, what do you what do you hope it looks like or, wh- or what you want to be? Not not what you want to be like a lawyer. <laughs> that again. I'm thinking I'll be an astronaut um, before it's all over. I mean, you know, I think now I certainly have more vision than I did maybe as a younger associate. I think, you know, I've made um, partner. I think I want to stay the course um, with our firm and just work on growing my book of business and, um, you know, growing a team and just kind of continuing to do what I've been doing, but, you know, hopefully, um, on a bigger and, and a bigger scale. Um, you know, obviously our podcast is really fun. So it's nice to have that, um, in the background, you know, um, and aside from, from doing our normal lawyer work. So I think at this point, you know, we're on the path. You just like keep on keeping on. Um, and, and you hope that everything continues to go as well as it has so far. What is one piece of advice that you would have given to your future self? If you could. I think I would have said, um, wow, let me think. I mean, I think one thing I would have told myself was, to maybe be more confident um, from the beginning. I think, you know, you graduate from law school and you start and you, the truth is you don't learn anything in law school about um, how to actually practice law. You just learn how to think like a lawyer. Um, And so because of that, and you come in and you don't know anything about what you're doing, it's, it's hard, especially when you're used to being someone who is, you know, it's good at things and, you know, usually knows what you're doing and feels like you're on top of things. Um, so I think coming in and, and really having no idea um, how to do the thing, you know, how to how to handle the practice of law as a young lawyer was hard for me because I am so much of a type A perfectionist who wants everything done exactly right the first time. Um, so I think because of that, I probably lost a lot of a little bit of the confidence that I think I normally have. Um, and then I think that that it's kind of wasted energy. Um, and I've learned as I've gotten older that that I think is, is a woman thing because I've met lots of very young male associates who think that they know a whole lot more than me, even as a, you know, experienced associate. And that's not saying all because I'm not saying all men are that way, but I do think that young male associates are far less likely to have those confidence issues um, than women, even though the women are um, certainly at least as confident. Um, So I think if I could go back and tell myself that I'd probably say, look, no one knows what they're doing when they're at your level. And so, you know, know what you know and have the confidence to kind of 
to, to stand up for yourself too. That's great advice. And honestly, I still feel, you know, I've been practicing for, I think I'm in my 11th year and I still am learning every day. So, you know, you, that is great advice to tell yourself, like, look, you, you might not know it, but that's okay. So does the, the senior partner down the road might not know it either. You know? Well, and I also learned, you know, as I've gotten older to your point that like, sometimes you're faking it till you make it, you know, sometimes someone raises something in a deposition and you're not exactly sure what the answer is. So you, um, you know, you bluff and you find out that they didn't know the answer either. So yeah. I think, um, you know, some of it is just as you, you know, you're like, is this weird what I'm doing? Is this, is it not? I think you just learn that, um, that everybody, like you said, everybody is still doing that even with lots of experience. So Whitney, to wrap up the questioning here, tell us who your favorite pop singer is. So definitely, without a doubt, it's got to be Britney. Um, I, you know, was growing up in the Britney Spears age. Um, I have always loved her. For my bachelorette party, my um, friends, we went to Vegas and we went to go see her show. And my friend said it was literally like, you know, a kid watching like my son loves Blippi. So it'd be like if he saw Blippi in real life or Elmo or something, I knew every word like it was just truly one of the best experiences of my life. And I hope my husband and children aren't listening to this because <laughs> my <laughs> wedding and their birth should also probably be up there. But it was great. And so I would say, say her. And, you know, while we're at it, I think um, we'll give you another chance to mention your favorite of all time pop star. Maybe she'll listen one day. Well, I will actually say I was a huge Britney fan, just like you were. Um, had posters in my room until I was in college. And I actually went to go, you know, visit a college. And the girl who was giving us the tour was telling us about how she hated her roommate because her roommate had Britney Spears posters. And I was like, this place is not for me. <laughs> because obviously. <laughs> but, you know, over the years, I sort of like I still love Britney, but Taylor Swift is been my obsession for, I don't know, I want to say the last at least last seven years. Um, just for they're just to, two totally different people. I loved Britney and um, she made me feel confidence when I didn't have it, you know, and she sort of makes you feel yourself like you're getting into your like the mood or whatever mood you're in, the party mood or the dance mood. And Taylor is more I like her more for her lyrics and her content, sort of like how you like Dolly Parton, you know, her heart, mm -hmm. her content and her thoughts. So, yeah, I've, I've changed a little bit, but I'm still I'm still like you, a true Britney fan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to today's snack episode on the motherboard. Um, feel free to reach out to Whitney Lay Green with any questions or comment um, on our social media about, about what you liked about her episode. Thank you for listening to the motherboard. Thank you for listening to the motherboard. Thank you for listening to the motherboard. Bye, returning mothers. Never bored.